And we are back with another episode of You Wouldn't Get It, episode 13. Today, we've got a uh, got a topic that I'm surprised we haven't gotten around to yet, because you could argue that it's been uh, pretty prevalent over the last six, seven months of our lives. I'm excited. Easton, he's dancing around. He's excited. Let's get into it. Yes, sirree. Yeah, we got a good one today. A little uh, COVID and sports talk. So, so uh, let's get a little outline going here. Um, so obviously everyone by now should be familiar with the coronavirus. COVID-19 happened earlier yeah. this year. Um, affected a lot of things. You know, hurt a lot of uh, people, families, businesses. All just horrible stuff. It's been quite the year to say the least. Sports is a funny one though. Because at the beginning of all this, you know, and we were kind of in the mix of it being college athletes, uh, we actually experienced, you know, one of these cancellations. So I guess to start, we should sort of talk about that. So Christian, your (laughs) experience, (laughs) I mean, uh, yeah, so just give me your experience of like those couple of days and throughout that week, it was just madness, honestly, in terms of like, to me, it felt like yeah, man. we started out um, knowing about this disease, knowing that it was an issue, but it was really like a month, a month and a half period where, you know, no one was really taking it too seriously. We kind of knew it was around and the, a couple cases had had uh, trickled into the U.S. And then it started growing and growing. And all of a sudden, you know, one day we're we're at a game and we kind of started to hear some murmurs about things potentially getting canceled, which everyone was kind of mind boggled by. And it was literally in the middle of our game that I believe the NBA canceled. And from there, everything just went bonkers. So walk me through it. Damn, man. I mean, these are, these are some repressed memories at this point. Those are some dark times early on in the year. But so the very first time I remember hearing about it, we were, we were on our spring trip and I think we were in Alabama, something like that. Yeah, we were in Alabama. And I remember earlier in the day, and I guess I shouldn't say this is the first time we'd heard about it, but like on the internet, it had been starting to grow and you'd started to see some reports on it. But I mean, pandemic, like you, you hear the word pandemic, epidemic, you're like, come on now, like that's, that's not going to happen. We'll be fine. This is the modern world. Even if something did happen internationally, it's not going to come to the U.S., right? We'll, we'll handle it. It'll be fine. So, spoiler alert, yeah, it was not fine. So, I remember it would have been early on in March, probably that first or maybe early in the second week of March, the Ivy League actually canceled everything, all sports, for the rest of the semester. And I think that was the very first semblance uh, of it. And I remember yeah, going up right. I remember going up to one of our teammates at the time being like, and well, what do you think this means? And him, he was like, this means absolutely nothing. The Ivy League, they're soft. They don't care. Yada, yada, yada. We will be fine. I'm like, eh, yeah, whatever. We'll see. So, um, yeah, like you said, we, we were playing Alabama State. We're playing a game there. We are middle of the game. And I, I, it wasn't me personally, but I remember one of our teammates like asking one of our coaches at the time, like I, I've heard some murmurs of something going on and they were just kind of um, 
distant about it, didn't say too much. And then after the game, we came out and we saw that the NBA had dealt with the issues with Ruby, Rudy Gobert, and that they were shutting down the season. And this led to just a tailspin of cancellations, not even in sports, in everything. Conferences, the collegiate conferences started dropping out, started. And at this time, it was just kind of suspending play through March, through like mid-April. We had no idea. And we were supposed to actually continue on that day to travel to Louisiana. But lo and behold, we had to do a nice skirt, turn right around 17, 18 hours back on the bus to the old Vale of Paradise, Valparaiso. And that was that. And uh, it's still... It still seems absolutely surreal to think about right now, but to think that was the end of my college experience, just like that, at blink of an eye, because of a pandemic, you couldn't even write a movie like that. So that was that was my overall experience of it. And like you said, well, we we both went right through it. And w- what are your thoughts on that whole thing? Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of hit it on the head with how bizarre it all was and how quick it happened. You know, a lot of people think back to that and they think that it was more of a I guess drug out process than it was so for us sure did we see a conference you know here or there canceling until you know late March early April yes but it's one of those things that you just don't really consider is going to happen to you personally until it really does so Mm -hmm. I don't think it really set in until that bus ride Christian talked about when we started seeing some of the major conferences cancel, like your Pac-12, your Big Tens, um, that's when it kind of set in that, okay, this is probably going to happen to us. But again, at the time, we didn't know anything. So for a while, it was canceled through April, I believe. So we were planning on at least resuming play in April. And I would say the the idea of that happening lasted about two to three days for me because I don't know what in the world you know went south so quick but for some reason over the week after everything got canceled temporarily it pretty much became inevitable that this was going to be a lot longer than what it actually was it went from okay you know we'll stick around and we'll come back to play in April to Three days later, my mindset was, yeah, we're we're not playing this year. And, you know, lo and behold, was the case. Um, but, yeah, but, you know, just a little experience from both Christian and I there from, you know, how we saw it play out. And really the beginning of March, uh, and I don't have a timeline in front of me, so mm-hmm. to the listeners, you know, don't be fact-checking me if I botch some of these <laughs> dates. But I don't believe do it, it. Was, it was early March when, you know, Again, everything started canceling. Yeah. And, you know, this looked like it was going to be a long time. And this leads us right up into our first case. So basically what Chris and I are going to do is go throughout some of the major sports and really talk about, you know, the interaction between them and coronavirus and, you know, how they handled restarting, how they handled the season, um, and then just specific examples here and there that really stood out. And the first of those examples, and I don't know if you, you know, it's not one of the power three sports, but the UFC, which we've actually talked about on this podcast before, they were the first ones to fire it back up. And, you know, this is some people love him, some people hate him, but credit to Dana White. I mean, he said we can make this happen with all this madness going on now that we have testing available 
um, we are going to do something where we isolate these fighters, we quarantine them, we give them, you know, everything they need for their fight camp. We test them day in, day out, and we can put on events. As long as we keep everything can, under control, we're going to be able to do pull this off. And this is really the first concept of the bubble here, right? So the UFC did it in two forms where they have their performance center in Las Vegas where they kept all the fighters um, the first few times. And then Dana White, you know, goes out and buys an island in Abu Dhabi uh, Yaz Island, Fight Island, whatever you want to call it. And basically the same concept there. You know, they test everyone the week before, day in, day out, keep them quarantined, get them on a plane. And it's just, there's no outside contact. Like everything is under control, which I mean, really is the only way you are going to be able to, to reel all this in. And mm -hmm. before I pass the torch over to you, the one thing that I think was actually a little easier on the UFC's end. Uh, which made them able to start all this up as the first major sports organization was the fact that you're dealing with individuals versus individuals. So Absolutely. you don't have to worry about the team aspect of, you know, anywhere from 10, 15 to even, you know, 40 when we talk MLB or, you know, 60, 70 when you talk NFL. Of those guys that organizations have to be responsible for, no, this was on an individual basis. So if any of them, you know, went out and got in contact with someone that had COVID after they scheduled the fight, like that individual was just pulled from the card and another one would step in. It's a lot more easy to keep track of than dealing with a whole team where they're all, you know, one one bad apple ruins a whole team, right? So yeah, that to kick it off there, UFC, I mean crazy that they started that early thinking back on all of it and thinking back on when <laughs> the major organizations like pick like MLB NFL NBA when they all picked up the UFC was way before them so what was I guess viewing that from an outside perspective how did you see that playing out at first did you think it was going to work uh -huh. and you know obviously where we're at now yeah so you're absolutely right about just how concise the operation in the UFC could be. You're not dealing with teams, a whole lot of members, whether it be media, um, actual fight camps. This could be a very clean and concise operation, and the UFC took that to their advantage. They actually started up like two and a half months before the next league did, uh, which may have been the NBA, MLB. They started right there in that late July area. But yeah, they started on May 9th, UFC 249, which was supposed to happen on April 18th. Obviously, that was right kind of in the bulk of the beginning of Corona, so you didn't know what you were going to get at that point. But yeah, May 9th, and they held the event in Jacksonville. And from an outsider's perspective, like I said, it was just seeing the UFC start up. At that point in time, it was nice because there was nothing going exactly. on at that point in time. It was a... It was kind of just this dead zone. Everyone was in limbo. Everything was in limbo. Um, you were pretty much, yeah, we had the whole country in some sort of complete quarantine slash lockdown. This was the point when you're going to Walmart, the toilet paper, the tissue paper, it's all yeah. gone. 
that was the point in the country that we were at at that point. So it was nice to finally see something kick off again. And even just like a week and a half later, they had the big golf match between Tiger, Phil, Tom Brady, Peyton. It's just small things like that that were finally starting to be sprinkled into society that were giving us a sense of normalcy. Not that we're four months, five months later, there's still really not much of a sense of normalcy, but starting and like early to mid May, it was nice to see that again, considering the country had pretty much just been in their homes doing next to nothing for almost two months at that point. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, just credit to, you know, the organizations, a, the UFC, and then, um, I forgot who put on the, the golf event, but just brilliant on their part, because, you know, when you think about, yes, are we going to take some heat for having a sports event right now? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But to your point, there was nothing going on. And the numbers for the UFC pay-per-views, <clears throat> excuse me, don't get released until a while down the road. But I can almost guarantee that the, having those events when nothing was going on broadened the UFC fan base so much. Like mm-hmm. just people were just egging to watch something, something competitive, something sports related. And the UFC provided that. So I'm sure there were plenty of people around the world that were not UFC fans before, but you know, it's something, right? So let's tune in. And who knows, maybe even if 20% of those ended up sticking around and continuing to watch the events, that's a huge increase in the people that are what you would call your loyal fan base. Um, so yeah, it was it was very unique. And, you know, Dana White, don't always agree with him, but he is a risk, a risk taker. And it paid off to me because he realized, like we talked about before, this is a situation that we can genuinely control. And we can put these people in quarantines, put them in the hotel bubbles, test them frequently, and we can make this happen. And did they face a fair amount of criticism for it? Sure. But to me, you know, they did everything logically possible to keep the event safe and doable. Like there, I, if, I may be wrong here, but I'm almost positive through the first two or three events, there were no positive tests in the UFC. And the first positive test they did have, like I said before, they removed that individual from the card and put went through the same protocol and they made it happen. You know, that fighter didn't go past COVID to a bunch of the other fighters. So, I mean, long story short, it's just crazy that they started that early, but truthfully like the risk did pay off in my opinion because i can almost guarantee that down the road the numbers are going to be in their favor of how much they increased their fan base during during uh the coronavirus and and it might not just be you know revenue wise because obviously all the organizations took a hit in in their revenue um you can't sell tickets you know there's no physical purchases going on but when all of that does come back now you have that growth in your fan base that's where you're going to start seeing on the back end all of these numbers come through Mm -hmm. yeah so the ufc they definitely set the table and kind of made an example of how things were supposed to be handled moving forward and like i did mention it was almost two and a half months later that the next big league 
kicked into play. And this same week, we had the NBA bubble kicking back and starting up. And then we also had Major League Baseball, which finally started up after a lot of uh, labor issues going on over the months beforehand. These two leagues, they honestly, they both did a very solid job. But early on, that first two, three weeks, when we really got an idea of what the landscape was going to be, they couldn't have been different because you had the NBA who they handled things pretty much as well as you could have handled it. I believe they had zero COVID cases in the 95 days they were in the bubble. So you had the NBA there. And then you also had the big leagues who through two weeks, you had about three teams um, on the cliff on the ledge about to just have the whole season shut down. Mm -hmm. So what, what are your thoughts on just, I guess you could say the comparisons between those two leagues right out of the gate and even throughout the long run of the seasons. Yeah. So starting with the NBA, again, it's kind of the same concept as what we talked about with the UFC, where you just isolate everyone and pretty much ensure that, you know, nothing is penetrating in to infiltrate, cause cases to go up. And, you know, no one's really going out without, proper monitoring and proper protocol if they want to come back um and to me you know this is the the whole pandemic has been made very political and to me that is logical right like if you tell me that as a person who errs on the side of being cautious about this that Mm -hmm. is so logical and makes so much sense that why would you be against them going through with that like Yes, is there a small, small, small risk? Sure, but they're pretty much guaranteeing that, you know, this doesn't become a relevant issue in the NBA. So the NBA, I wasn't overly concerned about. To me, that was like, okay, this is going to work. You know, they have this bubble as long as everyone abides by the rules, which there were a few mishaps here and there. But (laughs) for for the most part, you know, made sense to me. They're good. The MLB, on the other hand, I was genuinely concerned about through those first few weeks because you had teams, you know, I, I think I remember the Cardinals are the ones sticking in my head that yeah, the Marlins could, the, yep, yeah, also could, couldn't play like, I mean, some of them were getting around 10 games in a row that they had now not played. And then coming back, you're talking about those teams having to make up all those games. The Cardinals were playing double headers for what seemed like two weeks in a row, which Again, I don't know how fair that was on them, but if you're going to make the season happen, that's how it's going to have to be. So I was genuinely mm-hmm. genuinely concerned the few, first few weeks. I was like, okay, I don't know if this is going to continue because there are these cases popping up. These teams are shutting down. Like This looks like a mess. But, I mean, it ended up working out. Everything slowed down a little bit. Yep. They got it under control. Here we are on the World Series. So, I mean, kudos to both organizations. They got to the place they needed to be, which was finishing out this season. Um, they both did it in two very unique ways. But you can't fault either of them, really. No, you can't. Marlins, Phillies, all these these teams who dealt with the issues early on. And the thing with the MLB is, they seem to, and this has also kind of been an issue with the NFL, they almost, in a way, they had the baseline protocol set early on. So you you had to get your temperature checks. You were pretty much isolated to your hotel rooms. 
they had a lot of that stuff, but ultimately they didn't do a bubble. So this wasn't going to be a foolproof situation. They The way they set it up was that, yeah, things should work out, but if things kind of start to go off the rails a little bit, they may not be able to hone it back in. And they were facing a lot, a lot, a lot of criticism. And honestly, the MLB was probably a team away, another outbreak away from having to shut it all down. Yeah. Because whether it be social media, the media outlets, whatever it was, the criticism was really getting to a to a very vocal point. And the MLB they they were at a crossroads where either they can kind of trek through and really straighten out when it comes to everything they were doing. They had to really enhance the protocols, make sure everything was right, or they can kind of just keep on going on with the way things were. And if they did that, well, it probably wasn't going to end well. So credit to them and also the fact that they did end up implementing a bubble for the postseason because the postseason is especially when if something goes wrong, if you have a team go down, there's nothing you can really do. It's yeah. going to be a very tough situation. So credit to the MLB. They made some mistakes early on. They had to write the ship quickly, and they did write the ship quickly. The NBA, and you kind of touched on it, they had a, a couple hiccups, and you I don't know if you ever saw it, the infamous Stephen A. Um, take on first take where he said it's not going to work out because the NBA players are going to get too horny. Well, Screw you, Stephen A, because it did end up working out. They fought through it. And and you got to give credit to all these players, especially the players in the NBA who were in a bubble pretty much away from their families um, yeah. for up to 90 days, for up to three months of just doing nothing. And LeBron spoke on it a little bit afterwards, but he just said by the end of it, everyone was just losing their mind. And even then, I've seen reports coming out since the finals concluded where players would not agree to a bubble situation again just because it was that mentally tasking. I mean, you got to realize these players were just grinding through these games, these practices. That was it. They could not do anything else. They were relegated to their room for three months. It was basically a three-month quarantine outside of playing basketball. And that is that's mentally tasking that, that's mentally tasking on anyone let alone professional athletes when they're trying to get the best performance out of them on a day in day out basis yeah that and it was just like so almost military style in the uh-huh. sense of what you talked about like the majority of these guys were not able to really see their families um in person throughout all of this and yeah, I mean, it had to have been somewhat of a of a grind to just be there for three months, only doing basketball, um, mm-hmm. practicing, playing, lifting, conditioning, and that's all you really know. And then other than that, it's kind of just hanging out in, in the bubble, um, which, you know, was probably fun for a week or two. But after that, like you talked about, yep. it starts to get a bit old. Um, and just thinking to, you know, my playing experiment, experience and probably yours as well it would be the same case where you know if we were forced into some sort of bubble I'm sure the first week or two would be great but after that it would be like all right like you know we need a different scene here we need to change it up so mm-hmm. yeah credit to all those players for making that happen and I'm sure it was a bit of a brutal season and I fully understand why a lot of them are already saying that they wouldn't agree to another bubble situation so um yeah, it's a, it's interesting stuff, but these organizations, 
you know, despite all this criticism, found a way to, to pull it out. So, well, not only did they find a way, they found a way to flourish. And in saying that the the players already said they wouldn't agree to a bubble situation, that just brings up the scary thought of there's already consideration that a bubble type of situation may need to be implemented next year. And obviously no one wants to even consider that fact because back in March we're saying, oh, this will this will only mm-hmm. be a couple months by the time summer comes around. We'll be fine. We'll have all of our sports back. We'll be able to go outside, yada, yada, do whatever. Life will be normal. And here we are, what is it, maybe seven months later, and there's really not an end in sight to this thing. No. Um, there, there really isn't. So no one knows moving forward how these sports leagues will have to yeah. implement certain factors. And even like looking at the revenue situation of this, last year, sports as a whole worldwide, they brought in $129 billion in revenue. This year, it was projected to be like $135 billion. Through this point, there is sports as a whole, and this is mostly internationally, has brought in $72 billion. So it is going to see a big decline from a revenue standpoint. It's not even going to be close. And leagues are going to have to adjust. They're going to have to find ways. And the NFL is interesting just because they pretty much just said, screw it. We're going to do our thing. There's no bubble. Half the league or half the teams in the league are allowing a certain amount of fans. And it's going to be interesting to see how the NFL plays out because we're still early on in the season and we've seen a decent amount of hiccups already to this point. Now it could end up being the MLB route where things kind of clean up, things end up being fine. And we all hope that's the case, but there's also a more sinister route where this, if this starts becoming a little bit more frequent, the NFL and yeah, the NFL may have to shut things down or slow things down a little bit. And that remains to be seen. Yeah. Well, and the NFL is kind of in a better position of the fact that their season started pretty much <clears throat> pretty much at the perfect time as compared to those other sports. So they had just, uh-huh. you know, the Super Bowl gets played in the late winter. All of this starts coming on. So they're in their off season anyways when all of these other organizations are struggle to figure out, you know, a way to make it happen. They're now in the unique position where, yes, you know, they've seen other organizations and how they've handled it and they have that data, you know, that research. Now they're trying to implement it as safely as possible, but also kind of, you know, push that line a little further of what we can do and still be somewhat safe in this pandemic. You talked about some of the, the stadiums having uh, limited capacity. And I honestly think that even though the cases are not looking great right now, when I say that, I mean, there's a lot of states that are starting to see spikes again. I've been saying it forever now that, you know, when flu season comes around, this was going to be a mess if we didn't have it under control, because now you have, you know, you're battling between people are already always getting sick during this time. You know, do they have COVID? Do they have something else? If it is COVID, is it, you know, getting passed around easier because everyone's immunity's down? Who knows? There's a million different factors there. Um, but we've at least had these months to kind of figure out, okay, how do we make this work and continue to play sports? Mm-hmm. So I don't think, I don't think there that any of the major organizations will find troubles in 
playing a season this, you know, whenever their next season may be NBA, MLB, I think they're going to figure out a way to make it work. Absolutely. Um, now to what this is going to look like a few months down the road, I have no clue. I mean, you know, we could, we could be looking five months from now at pretty much a back to almost normal full world where we're doing, you know, some precautions here and there to keep it safe. Or it could be the, yeah, I mean, or it could be literally the exact same thing we're doing right now because the cases continue to spike. So all that we're really allowed to do is what, you know, holds to be safe and what we found works. And that's kind of where we're at. I don't see us going down in the in terms of sports and, uh, you know, whether or not they're playing and how many fans they have. I don't really see us going backwards. How much will progress in the next few months? Honestly, I have no clue. Well, I think an interesting angle to look at all of this um, is just to take a, a look and take a step back and take a look at the youth sports, the high school sports, the collegiate sports, and how they've handled it. And to start kind of that part off, I want to ask you what your experience this year, uh, this semester has been like with all the COVID protocols and just how teams are dealing with it and how universities, how Valpo's dealing with it and whether you think it's effective or not. I think it would be curious or interesting to hear that. Sure. And I need to definitely watch my tongue with some of this. Um, (laughs) I can't talk myself into a hole here. But so basically the way that we have been handling it and the position we're in, which is that we are a spring sport. um, So we would, again, be in the off season anyways right now. It hasn't been drastically different from us. that the, the major changes are obviously, you know, we have to get tested every couple of weeks. Um, we're going through protocol each day to ensure, you know, if you have any symptoms, anything at all, you're not going to practice. If someone ends up, you know, coming down with COVID or even so much as gets in contact with someone who has COVID, they are quarantined and, um, you know, later tested. So it's, it's very interesting, but, for the most part, we've been lucky to, I don't think we've had any cases on our team. We've had a couple guys that have been in the contact trail of people who have had COVID. And then those people, you know, then have to isolate themselves, which does suck, you know, but in the grand scope of things, if it means that we get to play and it means we get to continue to practice and do everything, you know, it's worth it. So that's really what's changed at the collegiate level is there's just these day-to-day precautions um, and then frequent testing that I've said before, it's cover your ass type stuff, which some of it is. A lot of it is truthfully good protocol that's in place, but basically universities are doing everything to make it look like they are going above and beyond for the atmosphere, the environment of the sport to be safe. Um, And like I said before, we've been lucky. We haven't really run into a problem yet. And that's good. But I know that, you know, for some bigger schools and other organizations, it's a little bit of a different story. You know, we heard early on some of the SEC football schools were getting hammered where half their team was getting COVID, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not at all what we want to happen. 
but yeah, from from my perspective, that's kind of what it looks like in college athletics as we plan for the upcoming season. And just seeing those protocols and seeing them all put into place, it's a great thing, especially like you said, for the spring sports, you want to make sure this is all handled now. So once your season comes around, you can actually play a, a relatively normal season. And why it's so interesting to me is it seems like at least in Illinois, things are all over the place as compared to states that are right around it. So in Illinois, they actually have just recently, as of yesterday, shut down inside dining and um, put a restriction on groups again. And obviously, this means when it comes to high school sports, high school athletics, things are pretty much, they're not happening. And the, the reason I'm talking to this, because my brother is 16, he's a sophomore in high school, and this is really affecting him, not even from just an athletic standpoint, but they have students sitting in front of their computer for eight hours a day. And it's just like, how can that be sustainable? How, how can you expect these kids to have to sit in front of a computer for eight hours a day, just mindlessly uh, taking these Zoom classes where I'm sure you're probably not, you aren't. I, I'm, yeah, I'll go as far as to say, you're not going to be learning as much as you would if you were in an in-class situation. And just the fact that they also don't have athletics or sports to turn to as an extracurricular now, it's just, it's causing, it's causing a lot of issues that I don't think people are necessarily talking about. Yeah, people are talking about the, the actual cases, the deaths, um, the economy, stuff like that. But then because all these sports have been shut down, because of a lot of different athletic outlets and extracurricular outlets being shut down, people aren't taking into account the overall mental health or just sanity of not only um, young kids or high schoolers or college kids, just of everyone in general. And, and the mental health side of the pandemic definitely isn't being discussed, especially when it comes oh, yeah. to the sports side of things. Yeah, absolutely. It's not being discussed. And it's a, it's a huge factor, honestly. And um it will be really interesting to see, you know, moving forward. And I know, you know, I'm not one of those people that's going to sit here and say, well, after the election, all this is going to change. <laughs> but I think that the election will have a big impact on like what the yeah. next steps are as far as like, you know, even if the COVID cases keep going up and this is a relevant problem, at some point, do we just cut it loose and say, look, like, if you're at risk, you need to stay home, you need to stay safe um, and sort of risk it there. Or do we continue to try and, you know, keep these precautions in place to, you know, hopefully get those cases down and eventually closer to zero until we can, you know, either get a reliable vaccine or something of the sort. Um, and it, it, you know, back to sports, it trickles over into sports, too, because like we've talked about throughout this whole episode, it has a big impact on how these teams do, um, you know, the revenue they bring in, the amount mm -hmm. of excitement generated around the sport itself. That's another big thing that we, you know, haven't really touched on yet, but there's a lot of people that, you know, weren't too excited about the NBA finals. It didn't have the same, same buildup around it, everything. Yeah. Um, and I kind of find that true across the board with, the overall excitement for these sports is is kind of down. You know, it had that early spike when everything came back and everyone was excited. The environment and the competition just doesn't seem to be fully the same. 
even though I, I definitely think that these players are still putting in the same effort, they're still performing mm-hmm. how they would um, for the most part, but it does change it. It's not the same experience for the fan. Um, and so that's why I think it'll be interesting going forward how it's handled because, you know, again, how long do we do we keep playing it out as is? And at some point, you know, do do the people that are in the government cut this loose and just say, basically, screw it? Or do we really try to, you know, get this down? It's a good debate to have. And I and I no, truthfully I, do yeah. understand both sides. Like this is one of those arguments where I can definitely see and why, yeah. you know, people feel strongly one way or the other. I also think that that's created a bad atmosphere in terms of there's so much, you know, butting heads now with opposing views that it, that there's no compromise. So like I talked about before, the, the logical way of doing things. So like the UFC, the NBA, when they talk about doing this bubble with a billion different protocols in place, like how can you really be against that? If an organization is going that above and beyond to show to you, we are being safe. We can make this work without there being, you know, a very big risk of an outbreak or anything. I don't get how you're against that. But at the same point, I don't get how some people are saying, you know, cut it loose, sell the football stadiums out, open the vendors, do everything. Like, I don't know. They're, they're just such polarized views there that it's, it's crazy. Yep. And Easton, you are absolutely right. There is, there is no right or wrong answer right now. Regardless of what you see on social media, regardless of you going on social media and seeing anyone who even presents the idea of being sick and tired of this shamed by the the masses on social media, the reality is that at the end of the day, we're all human beings. We need human contact. We need, We just need to be outside. We need to be doing things. We can't be cooped up for seven, eight, nine months on end with nothing to do. That's the reality of it. We nobody nobody is perfect in this whole semblance of a uh, lockdown, whatever you want to call it. No one, everyone. I, I don't even know. I, I could go off on a tangent yeah. here. But regardless of what your thoughts are, you're not wrong. You're not necessarily right. Everyone, all thoughts are valid in this. All opinions are valid because it's taking a toll on everyone. And it's taking a toll on everyone differently. And people are, I guess, expressing themselves differently because at the end of the day, everyone's different. Yes. And don't get me wrong. We would have loved a situation where everyone truly quarantined, locked down, followed protocols for the first two, three months. And this thing was gone. But that's Mm -hmm. not the reality anymore. The reality is that this thing is not going away. So at what point do you just say, all right, just let it loose. If you're you're in a point where you're high risk, okay, maybe you should be a little bit safer. Maybe you shouldn't be going out as much, if at all. But the reality is most people aren't going to be dying from this. Most people may not even experience symptoms from this. And it's just at what point do you say, all right, as a human being, I just want to go on living my life. And one thing that I've, and and I will say, I've always, like you said, I've been more so on the cautious end of things when it comes to COVID, um, just so, just to be respectful of others. But I've had grandparents at this point saying, who are all near the end of their lives saying like, I am losing 
a year or two or three of my life at this point. I can't see my grandchildren. I can't go out and do things that I always wanted to do. And I don't have that much time left. And that gives me a little perspective on it because it, it really is. It's absolutely yeah. true. We may not see it like that because we're younger, but it's affecting everyone in so many different ways. And there's just nothing more annoying to me than people who just shame, 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 because there's only one right way to do this. Well, that's at this point, there's not anymore. And yeah, you hit that right on the head. And it should be very individualized as well. And by Uh that, I mean, if you think a certain way or another about this whole thing, then act accordingly. And Companies, organizations, individuals should all be respective of your opinion. So if you're Mm -hmm. someone who, you know, is genuinely very concerned about getting the virus and how it might affect your health and this, I'm not even talking about at risk people, obviously at risk people like, you know, we should just know the fine print there. I'm talking, you know, you, me average healthy person you know a mom a dad 40s 50s whatever all the different groups if you're genuinely concerned about it and you you know don't want to maybe spread it to someone you don't want it to affect your personal health you should be able to make your decisions of you know maybe staying in of not going into work not gathering in social groups and that needs to be respected by like I said, companies, organizations, whatever, you Correct. know, that it, that should not even be debatable. If someone is worried about it, they should not be shamed. They should not be, you know, lose their employment, lose their ability to do something because they're concerned about this. On the other end, it should go the same way with if someone feels comfortable, you know, being outside, maybe being in a group, um, and they're with other people who, you know, understand the the concerns behind COVID, but also understand, you know, the logistics behind it, and they feel safe doing certain things, then I think we're to the point where that should be allowed. Now, obviously, you can't be reckless with it at this point, because again, the cases are yep. still going up. Yep. Um, you still need to show some sort of caution you should still wear a mask in the grocery store like that type of stuff it's not hurting anyone to be cautious in that sense um Mm -hmm. but back to my note like everyone is different everyone has different ideas and no one really knows what the hell's going on with this thing so there's no right or wrong answer you you know you can't tell like you said everyone to just lock it down again for another three months when we've already experienced this for so many months we know to some extent, what's working, what's not working, what we need to do to stay safe. And truthfully, at the end of the day, individually, how we feel out in groups, in the open, in society, it's just have some understanding, people. Like, it, that's what bothers me the most about it is, and bringing it back to sports, is it's become such an issue with like everyone has to do the same exact thing and think the Mm -hmm. same exact way that we can't really progress to that next step because so many people are holding us back at this point yeah yep and it's just it really just comes down to doing your part being respectful 
And at the end of the day, this is all something that we should work together to fix. We shouldn't be butting heads because we're all in this together. It is a, a worldwide, it's a pandemic. It is a viral, viral disease. And it's coming at us regardless. So our best bet would just be to actually work together to get something solved. But yeah, and maybe make a little sports analogy here. You know, the one drill may not work perfectly for someone else. You know, you need to find different drills, different lifts, different routines, whatever for everyone, because everyone's different, you know? So when it comes to the, the pandemic, maybe there's different ways to handle this for every different individual. And uh, with that, I guess that's, I guess that's where I'll end off. Just ultimately, um, sports in general has, it's definitely been a huge blessing during this pandemic. It's been something to kind of get distracted a little bit. Yeah. And as much as maybe at the beginning of this, people wanted to say, uh, this probably isn't the right idea. I think we can all agree at this point that sports have given us a, just a little bit of satisfaction in a time where there is not a lot of satisfaction. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, again, you just have to be able to understand both sides and you have to think logically about this stuff. So we've already shown over multiple organizations that sports can, in fact, continue safely. Um, are there going to be a few hiccups? Yes, absolutely. Are, you know, some people going to be stupid about it? Sure. But we're talking small, small, small percentages here. Small percentages. And, yeah. you know, these organizations and players want their sport. They want to continue to play. Um, it's in both of their best interests. I think it's in, you know, the societal best interest as well that sports are going on to have something to tune into, something to get excited about. And for the people that are just blatantly, you know, wanting to keep it all shut down and just saying, oh, there's no logical way this can happen without, you know, spreading COVID and, and it, you know, screwing it up for everyone else. That's absolutely not true. Like, to me, there's no, no logic behind that argument. And it gets me kind of fired up because, again, like, it's become so political that both sides of the political aisle are starting to piss me off with how aggressive yeah. they're being on their views and just seeing no middle ground. Like there's certain issues where I am perfectly fine with there not being a middle ground, you know, one way is maybe clearly better or the two sides are so opposite. But again, we're talking about a pandemic. Like we have to, this is not something we can be polarized about. We have to come together, like you said, and, start to figure out logically what can be done and how we start getting back into a normal lifestyle, how we start implementing certain things that, you know, are in everyone's best interest to move forward. We, you know, we can't do this forever. So wild world, man. Lay the hammer down on him. That a voice, Roadhouse. <laughs> and uh, I, I think I'll, I'll be i'll be short and sweet here barzy yeah i give you i give you a nine two today it was a good yeah. performance yeah. So, you know hard topic to really mess up if you yeah. would went you know full alex jones mode on me or or full <laughs> you know shut down sports shut down the country shut everything down and yeah call yeah. everyone else idiots i'd have given you a low score but hard one to botch today so nine two you're welcome little handout 
Hey, I'll take that hand. I was going to say the same thing. I was going to lead up to it and say that they may be taking a little easy on me. It was a, you know, it was a pretty, uh, a pretty easy episode to get right. And I think I got it relatively right enough. So uh, I'll take it. I'll take the hand out when I can get it. So with that brings to a close another episode of You Wouldn't Get It, guys. We have recently moved our show host from SoundCloud over to Simplecast. So Simplecast now gives us the ability to have a little bit of a website for all of our episodes. So yeah, that is on the Twitter account. You can check it out there. Also Twitter at You Wouldn't Get It Pod, or you can just type in You Wouldn't Get It. It's also available on Spotify, Apple, Simplecast. As I said, go give the show a view. Go follow the Twitter account. Do whatever you want. Guys, we're having a lot of fun doing this, and we welcome all the new listeners and new viewers we are getting every single episode. So, guys, we will see you next time, and take it easy. Thanks for tuning in to Christian Wouldn't Get It.